Zott, if we haven't met yet, and I am the co-lead pastor here at Mercy Vineyard Church, and we're excited to have you here, uh, and those of you watching online, we're excited to have you here. <laughs> uh, so people do watch us. I, I Sometimes we're surprised by letters in the mail and um, emails and things like that, and so it's kind of cool. I know. People we don't even know might be watching right now. Um, so at Mercy Vineyard, let's say our, our mission statement together. Uh, we are living a passionate mission to love, grow, and go for the greater glory of God. I appreciate the enthusiasm in that corner. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Everything that we do is about that. So uh, this morning, as Lee said, we're continuing a three-part series on um, the enemy's toolkit where we're looking at how the devil uses deception, shame, and fear to keep us as Christ followers from living as victors and overcomers. And last week, Lee talked about how the enemy uses deception and lies to keep us from living the way God designed us to live. That is his primary way of um, attacking us. And so if you haven't listened to that message, if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen because uh, it's good stuff. And uh, we need to know those things. We need to be able to recognize whether we are believing truth or a lie. And um, today, as he said, we're going to look at another one of the devil's favorite tools, which is shame. And shame is a primary means to corrupt our relationship with God and with each other. And it is to he uses it to prevent us from being a community of Jesus followers who create space for others to join. Because if we're walking in shame, we, we can't make space for other people who are in shame, right? That's impossible. So uh, it's, if he can keep us in that, then he can um, prevent us from growing ourselves, and he can prevent the kingdom of God from growing. And uh, author and psychologist Kurt Thompson says, Shame is not a random emotional event. It is both a source and a result of evil's active assault on God's creation. That's huge. It is both a source and a result of evil's active assault on God's creation. Now, shame is not the same as guilt because guilt is about the what. I did something bad, whereas shame is about the who. I am bad. Okay, so guilt would think I did something unloving and I need to make it right. Shame thinks I am unlovable and there is no hope for me. So guilt can be productive. Shame is not. <laughs> okay, um, we can experience shame when we sin, but also when we can't kick a destructive habit or just simply when we fail. The enemy will try to bring that shame in. Um, it can also come through something done to us that we didn't have a part in. So the question, though, underneath shame is this. This is the question every human being is asking. Can I be fully known and fully loved? Can I be fully known and fully loved? Because without Jesus and without God's narrative, without the cross, the answer to that question is not a good one. Um, and some of you feel that way in your marriage. Can I be fully known and fully loved? If he or she knew this about me, would they still love me? Some of you feel that way among your friends or your family, right? It's what prevents us from being real. If they really knew me, 
they wouldn't love me. How many of you have thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you've thought that, that's shame. That's shame at work, okay? And you don't have to be embarrassed about that because we've all experienced shame. It's a human experience. So that can I be fully known and fully loved? Culture would say no to that question, right? Because social media is basically gang shaming right now. I mean, isn't that what cancel culture is? If, if we discover you, we'll hate you. You're done. You do one thing wrong. I don't care if it's 20 years ago. You're done. That's shame. That's shaming. Um, and so because we're so used to that, that's just how society is, then we find ourselves living in that pattern without even ever realizing it. So how do we usually respond when shame comes on us? Well, we hide. We hide. Some of the ways we hide is through filters, <laughs> right? Oh, I don't look good in that. Oh, I'll fix that. <laughs> through status, through, we hide through money, followers, success, sex, love, you name it. We find a way to hide from our shame. And none of them can undo it. None of those things can undo it. None of the ways we look to hide. And one of shame's primary functions is isolation. This is why the devil likes it so much. Because if he can isolate you, if he can get you by yourself, he can lie to you more. And you will believe it. And then you will live it. So, uh, another very common response after we hide when we are feeling shame is we blame. Our desire to blame is an attempt to cover our shame. Think about when you discover that you've upset your spouse or a close friend. They're telling you they're upset. You did something that hurt them or bothered them. And some, let's be honest, sometimes the first thing we think is, well, if you wouldn't have done this, we wouldn't have been here right now. That's shame, right? Um, or... But if you did this, because why do we blame? Because if it's not your fault, then it's me. And we don't want to feel that. So one word in, the, in psychology that's deeply associated with the feeling of shame is accused. And what does the Bible call the devil? The accuser of the brethren, right? He is our accuser. So... Since we feel accused, then, what happens? We go into defense mode, and we look for something outside of ourselves to blame. And so we never really deal with it. And we're trying to make sense of our shame, so that's why we're blaming. And as we try to make sense of it, we just reinforce it. We make it worse. And then it just becomes a, a force in us that, that's difficult to overcome. So I want to look at where it all began. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7. This is right where it all started to fall apart and sin entered the world, right? So let's start in verse 7. It says, At that moment their eyes were opened. Now this was right after Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. So they had just done that. And it says, At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
So rather than feeling satisfied by what they'd done, they felt shame, and then what did they try to do? Hide themselves. Hide. They're covering themselves. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, we kind of laugh at this because we're thinking, <laughs> I mean, come on. God knows where you are. You're hiding in the trees from God. It just seems silly, right? But we've all done it, haven't we? Haven't we all hidden from God in some way? They should have a desire to connect with God, to re-establish that connection, but instead they did the opposite. They hid. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now, do you think he didn't know where he was? No. But God's calling, Where are you? And for some of you, God has been asking you that question for a while now. Where are you? We think things like, well, I haven't gotten myself together enough to come to you yet. That's shame. Or we think uh, if we're afraid to encounter God because we believe he's mad at us or he's disappointed. That one's easier, right? Because as good Christians, we don't believe that God is mad at us. We just think he's a little disappointed. Don't we? So we don't want to come to him. We hide because that's shame, keeping us from reestablishing that connection with him. Or you, maybe you're not giving a certain area of your life to him because you use that area to hide, believing you can't be fully known and fully loved. So I'm just going to, I'm just hiding, even by God. And we do try to hide from him, and that's shame. So God is asking, where are you? In verse 12, Adam, he replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, before I move on, why do you think God was asking that question? God already knew. God already knew what Adam had done. He knew where they were. He knew what had happened. Why is he asking him that? We'll come back to that. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, but here's what Adam said. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So what's he doing? He's blaming immediately. It was the woman. He's blaming the woman, and then he blames God. It was the woman you gave me. So if it wasn't her fault, then it's your fault, because you gave me her, and now here I am in this position. <laughs> So he goes immediately to blaming, rather than saying, I did, you're right, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He immediately starts to look outward. And then God says, the Lord God asks the woman, what have you done? And what does she do? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. So now she's blaming. They've all, they're just, they're just, it's everybody else but me, right? And every time we blame, we're hiding shame. Every time where we're pointing the finger elsewhere, we're hiding shame. We're hiding ourselves. And a lot of times we're trying to hide from God. So 
Are there areas where you're blaming? Because there's likely shame underneath. And it's worth looking at and digging under. Now, the more secular our culture becomes, the harder it becomes to shape, <laughs> escape shame and blame because the culture says you can't be fully known and fully loved. You can't be fully known and fully loved because it takes God out of the story. And when we take God out of the story, there is no redemption. Without Jesus going to the cross, there is no freedom from shame. There is no newness of life. But according to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Jesus takes away our shame and he restores our true identity. Let's read it real quick. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Another version says, scorning its shame. So now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So because Jesus scorned shame, he disregarded shame, he w that was for us. So that we can scorn shame. We can disregard shame. We don't have to be in bondage to it. So what do we do? How do we get out of that? Because we see Adam and Eve, all they did was hide and blame, which is what we already know how to do. <laughs> right? So, like I said, shame by nature makes us want to hide, and that's what the enemy wants. So he can continue to lie to us, and he can continue to chip away at our identity in Christ and our relationship with God and others. So let's pray real quick, and then we're going to talk about the key to freedom from shame. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. God, I just ask that even as your word is spoken, like we sang this morning, let your word come in power. I pray that you would um, help us to seek out the areas where we are hiding. God, that you would bring things to light and that your truth would reign. Holy Spirit, just come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this. Shame loses its hold through confession. Because what happens when we hide from God and from others? We will never get the answer to that question if we can be fully known and fully loved. We'll just keep hiding. If we don't tell anybody what we did, what we're struggling with, what, what was done to us, we continue to tell ourselves the same stories. We just continue in that narrative. And we believe lies like, I will never change. I can't overcome this. I can't get past this. God can't possibly love me. God's disappointed in me. And confession is not just a listing of wrong behaviors. That's what we think of when we think of confession, right? We think about going into the booth, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and we just list everything we did wrong. And that is part of it. Part of confession is naming our sin. But it's also an ongoing acknowledgement of our human nature. It's a, it's a way of... Um, 
paying attention to the old ways of thinking that have crept up. So the lies that we've slipped back into believing, as we confess those and get them out into the light, they lose their power. And as we do that, because remember, we talked about, well, no, that's not true. We talked about this not last week, but on the ladies' retreat, so only the women will remember this. <laughs> but how when we believe lies and we continually listen to the lies of the enemy, we actually create neural pathways in our brains that have us continuing to believe them. And we have to forge new ones with the truth. So confession makes us aware of our old self, and it gives us the opportunity to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator, right? According to Colossians 3.10. It's regularly coming together with people and sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly, not just the surface things, not just y'all. Okay, just an aside. If I sit with a trusted friend, I'm not talking about you're telling everybody everything, okay? If I'm sitting with a trusted friend, let's say, okay, Lee is my most trusted friend, okay? So let's say I go to him. I'm going to make something up. I am struggling with porn. I'm just going to say that. Let's just say but I go to Lee, and instead of saying that, I say, Lee, I just need you to pray for me because I'm just really struggling lately. And he says, well, what are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? You know, just stuff. That's not confession. The devil's really attacking me right now. With what? As soon as I tell him what it is, it comes to light. The enemy can't have that power, that hold on, the same hold on me anymore. But if I keep it surface level, guess what? That's safe. And I continue to hide. You're still hiding. You're still hiding because we all struggle. So we say that to one another. I'm just really struggling. I got some issues right now. Okay. How is that going to help you? <laughs> right? I know because I do it. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not shaming you. <laughs> I'm simply saying that the Bible is very clear about what confession looks like. So let's look at it. Because we, we resist this because we're independent, self-reliant people, aren't we? Yeah, we don't want to show our weaknesses. We don't ask for help, right? And we definitely don't confess our sin. What would people think? We don't confess our sin out loud to another person. <laughs> That's crazy talk. But there is no substitute for people literally speaking truth back into you when you've done that. So that you can't be isolated. So the enemy can't isolate you, right? Kurt Thompson says, and he's an expert, he says, shame always requires outside help for healing. Always. Shame always requires outside help for healing. So what does this look like practically according to Scripture, if we're supposed to confess? Well, first, this is probably like, yeah, duh, we confess to God. 
1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So basically, forgiveness is waiting for us, and confession opens our hearts to receive it. Forgiveness is already there waiting for us because of what he did on the cross. So as we confess, all we're doing is like, it's like we're opening up our hearts so that that relief can flood in of the forgiveness that he offers. And God is not waiting for us to grovel. He just waits for us to be real about our shame so he can meet us in it and then rewrite our narratives. I mean, don't you think that's probably what he was doing in the garden? Where are you? What did you do? Why would he make them say it? They needed to confess it so he could meet them there in their shame, right in the middle of it. And we, it, when we do that, we acknowledge our need for him. We acknowledge our need for a savior. And he wants us to come lay it all down so that he can cover you. He can, because after, after Adam and Eve, you know, finally, they get it out, right? He pulls it out of them, and then he, he fashions clothes for them. He covers them. They tried to cover themselves, but we need him to do it. So when we ask then, if we ask God if we can be fully known and fully loved, the answer is yes. So that's why it's so important to bring that confession to God. And then next, we don't like this as much, but confess to a trusted person. James 5.16 tells us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Shame is the emotional energy behind our resistance to this. Because we don't want to confess it because we fear we will be abandoned. Because being fully known does, in our minds does not equal being fully loved. They'll leave us. They won't want to be around us anymore. And the act of confessing to someone else is how we overcome the shame and understand that we're, we're not going to be left as a result. And that's, James says that's going to bring healing. So not just forgiveness, but healing. John Mark Comer, an author, he says, for confession to yield not just forgiveness, but freedom, it must drag our sins into the light, not keep them in solitary confinement. And it's not just sin, right? Some of it's things that have happened to you, things that you feel, things that you long for, things that you're conflicted about, doubts that you might have. It's telling the whole truth about your life. But when it comes to confessing sin, this is the next thing, call sin, sin. Call it a sin. Don't pussyfoot around it. Tell, call it what it is, right? Neurobiologically, it does me harm if I confess something to you and you say, it's no big deal, it's okay. Actually, that does me harm because what I need is, you're right. Thank you for telling me that. And I forgive you. We need that instead because if it is minimized, if our sin is minimized, it will linger. Because I need to know that you can bear the weight of what I'm telling you. 
And if you can bear the weight of what I'm telling you and you can still love me, that's where I find healing and freedom. And again, this is not because God wants to rub our noses in our brokenness. It's just because when we take responsibility for our actions, we learn and grow in our awareness of how our lives affect others. Because most of the time when we sin, we don't just, it's not just affecting us. It's affecting other people. Even if we don't think it is, because when we're, even in our secret sins, it is affecting other people. And we won't get into that today, but... And I think that's why confession is so important when we confess to one another. Okay, so call sin a sin. And then lastly, confess who you are in Christ. This is where we shift our attention from the shame and the story that the shame is trying to tell us back to the story that is true, the story that God is telling in this moment. That's how we disregard shame, like it talked about in Hebrews 12, too. This is how we scorn shame, is shifting our attention. To scorn or disregard shame, it's to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge it, but then it's to turn away as if we think nothing of it. We're not going to let it have its hold on us. And Jesus demonstrated how God pursues us to enable us to confront our shame without being overrun by it in his reinstatement of Peter as his disciple in John 21. If you guys remember the story, Peter was um, Jesus' disciple who, when Jesus was arrested, Peter denied him three times, right? Denied he even knew Jesus. And when he met up again with Jesus um, by the fire, Remember, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Well, he knew the answer. <laughs> Again, God asks us lots of questions that he already knows the answer to. <laughs> but he does that for our benefit. And I imagine by the third time that Jesus is asked, because um, scholars believe that, that Jesus was pulling Peter's shame out like making him acknowledge it by asking three times. Because when we bury it, again, it, it lingers, it affects us. And I imagine that um, by the third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter's really grieved, right? He's thinking, um, yeah, Jesus, we all know what happened. And let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> and honestly, probably even thinking, if I really loved you, would I have thrown you under the bus six weeks ago if I really loved you? But Jesus is helping him to acknowledge what he did and acknowledge his shame so that any seeds of doubt that are planted in Peter, because remember, Peter's going to go start the church. Any seeds of doubt that are in him about his ability to be a leader and follow God's call in his life can be eradicated. He's just pulling it out. And Jesus reorients Peter's attention towards himself, towards Jesus. Because what does he say every time Peter says, you know I love you? He says, feed my sheep. He's reorienting him to Jesus and to the call that Jesus put on his life. This is what I called you to do. Now you're going to walk in it. You're not that person. You're this person. And when we confess who we are 
in Christ, we can rewire those neural pathways, right? We can, what, what is that? That's renewing our minds, according to the Bible, and turn our attention toward the joy of being in relationship with him and toward what he's called us to do. But when we're walking in shame, what do we feel like? I, I'm not good enough. Anybody else get imposter syndrome? Do you know what that is? <laughs> Where you feel like, who do I think I am that I could really do this? Yeah, we all struggle with that shame. And Jesus is trying to draw us back to his truth, that God is pleased, that God loves us, that right where we are, there's nothing that we've done, nothing that we can do that would separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that could make him love you less. And honestly, there's not a whole lot that qualifies us anyway except for him. And as we close, there might be something that came to mind as I was talking that you need to confess. And you know, you'll know you need to confess it because there's shame around it. If you feel the shame, if you're like, no, 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 I'm not telling anybody that, that's the thing. <laughs> that's it. And what is it that you feel if anyone knew about you, they would change their minds about you? Or that they would definitely not love you. Whatever that is, that's it. That's what you need to confess. And maybe you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus at all, right? Jesus, because of him, we have forgiveness and we have healing from shame. And that happens when we surrender our lives to him. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that today because he's calling. Where are you? Where are you? He's calling for you because he wants to connect with you. So as we worship just a little bit more and we listen to him calling, where are you? Let's answer that. Let's answer him and allow him to cover us. Allow him to break the power of shame over us. You can do that by confessing to him. You can do that by confessing to a member of our prayer team. They are um, keep everything confidential. They do not share anything. So you are completely free to share with them anything. They will just pray with you and love you. They will not leave you or turn away from you. Um, or maybe there's somebody that you need to talk to today, but I encourage you to not let it sit because that's what the enemy would want you to do is let, just sit in your shame. And if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, uh, go see the prayer team. They will pray with you. If you're online, email us. <laughs> we will pray with you. We will call you, and we will pray with you. But you can surrender your, to, your life to Jesus right now today just by telling him that you want him to be the Lord of your life and that you give it all to him. So, um, Lee, why don't you come on up here with me real quick? I want to pray for y'all. Okay. So, um, 
I'm not going to ask anybody to, to stand up. No, no, yep, I am. I just got done to saying we have to confess, right? We have to be, we have to, these, we love each other here. Like, we're supportive of one another in our, in our growth with Christ, right? So, if, as I was talking, there was something that you're like, yep, there's that thing um, that I don't want anybody to know, you know that there's something that you need to confess to God or to someone else. I just want you to stand. I'm not going to make you say anything, do anything else. I just want to pray for you. And I'm standing, so you're not alone. If you stand up, you're not alone. I just want you to, because this is where freedom begins, right? This is where healing comes. So we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Now remember, this isn't just sin. If, you're conf- if you need to confess believing a lie, if you need to confess walking in unforgiveness, so Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Here, we're just going to wait on him for a minute.